Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. Hi friends, and welcome to Happy Beeps. I am your host, Jennifer Landa, and today we're going to talk about the relationship between Star Wars and its critics. At worst, 
the relationship can be a toxic one. But at best, critics can offer insight, extensive knowledge of film history, and beautifully express why we love or hate a movie. Even if we don't agree with a film critic, their role in entertainment, and more specifically in our Star Wars fandom, is an important one. What exactly is their purpose? We'll explore that on today's show, and also look at how the relationship between Star Wars and critics has evolved, and in some ways, gotten better over the years. To understand how film criticism of Star Wars has evolved, we gotta go back to where it all began. The attendance at Star Wars has been almost astronomic. Queues are still forming. In America, more money was taken at box offices in one week than for the prestigious Jaws. What is the attraction of Star Wars? Who can say? There have been lavish spectaculars before. Perhaps it's because this one takes the best from all the rest. As we know, Star Wars was a phenomenon at the box office. It captured the hearts of people of all ages and turned a generation into lifelong fans. But critics weren't exempt from the magic of Star Wars. They too marveled at George Lucas's artistry and how much fun this space swashbuckler picture was. The film received rave reviews from the LA Times, New York Times, Toronto Star, and NPR, to name a few. The good reviews gushed, somewhat hilariously, about what an incredible achievement Star Wars was. Hey, it was an incredible achievement. Like NPR film reviewer Tom Shales in 1977. The film in question is Star Wars by George Lucas. Actually, it is not in question very much. It is unquestionably splendibulous. It is indubitably phantasmical. It is the greatest kids picture for adults since The Wizard of Oz. It is what is sometimes known in science fiction as UFO, ultra far out. Star Wars is eye-popping, mind-spinning, ear-piercing, bubble-blowing adventure. But not everyone was so kind. One notoriously nasty review was written by New York Magazine film critic John Simon. While Simon praises the technological achievements of the film, his review reeks of condescension. I have to read it to you all because it is so over-the-top in how villainous it is. Here are some of my favorite bits. The film doesn't even provide the good-looking hero and heroine of the old Flash Gordon strip. It has nowhere near the romantic invention of, say, Edgar Rice Burroughs' Martian novels, featuring that dashing Virginia gentleman, John Carter, and the lovely, shocking pink princess, Dejah Thoris. Here it is, all trite characters and paltry verbiage, handled adequately by Harrison Ford as a blockade-running starship pilot, uninspiredly by Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, and wretchedly by Carrie Fisher, who is not even appealing as Princess Leia Organa. The one exception is Alec Guinness as the grand old man Ben Kenobi. Ben for the Hebrew Ben to make him sound biblical and good. Kenobi probably from cannabis, i.e. hashish, for reasons you can guess. Kudos are due, no doubt, to each member of the production staff, which extends to an unprecedented four mimeographed pages. But what you ultimately have is a set of giant baubles manipulated by an infant mind. 
And then there is that distressing thing called the Force, which is not a flat-footed allusion to New York's finest, but Lucas's tribute to something beyond science. Still, Star Wars will do very nicely for those lucky enough to be children, or unlucky enough never to have grown up. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This was just one of several negative reviews of Star Wars in 1977. Most of the criticism stems from the belief that the film was an exhausting kids movie that had corny storytelling with no emotional grip. Or as Pauline Kale of The New Yorker wrote, Star Wars is like getting a box of Cracker Jack, which is all prizes. 
How is that a bad thing? Could someone tell me? <laughs> I think that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> These critics did not get swept up in the fun of Star Wars. Oh no, there's definitely a common thread between these negative Nancys, and that is that there is an air of stodginess and stuffiness to them. That might have been because there was a generation gap between some of these critics and filmmaker George Lucas. For example, critic John Simon, the one that said that George had an infant mind, was 52 when he wrote his belittling review of Star Wars. George Lucas, meanwhile, was 33 in 1977. George was also a young filmmaker that only had two movies under his belt before Star Wars, THX 1138 and American Graffiti. In that era of film, it was common for a film critic to also be a reviewer of theater, and maybe even the literary world. Nowadays, film criticism has become so specialized that you have people who only review Star Wars films. <laughs> like me. I think one of the challenges in being a film critic is to go into each film with an open mind and an open heart. This can be difficult if you're seeing films back to back and trying to get your reviews out as quickly as possible. I can see how it would be easy for a critic to become jaded and not impressed by anything, especially something with laser swords and, as John Simon put it, that distressing thing called the Force. What I find so interesting about Mr. Simon's review of Star Wars is that it's mean-spirited. I don't know why I thought nastiness in film reviews was a new thing that developed with the age of social media, but critics and creators have always had a cantankerous relationship. And unfortunately, critics like John Simon have worked and will continue to work in the industry. But here's where the good guys come in. Their names are Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. You might know them. They were two famous film critics that wrote for the Chicago Tribune and the Chicago Sun-Times and eventually hosted their own movie review show called At the Movies. I'm Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. Since 1976, when he directed Taxi Driver, Martin Scorsese has stood, I think, alone... They were tough the critics, the and they were known for their rating system of two thumbs up or two thumbs down. They both enjoyed Star Wars when it first came out, Roger Ebert more so than Gene Siskel. After The Empire Strikes Back was released, they both gave rave reviews of the film. Guess who didn't? John Simon. But like our rebel heroes facing down the evil empire, Siskel and Ebert went on ABC News and debated John Simon on why The Empire Strikes Back was such a great film. I'm going to play you the full clip because it is just so good. It made me pump my fists. Here's Ted Koppel. Mr. Simon, you described The Empire Strikes Back, the second in this trilogy, as malodorous awful, and I understand you're also well able to keep your enthusiasm in check for the third in the trilogy. Why so unkind? Well, I think um, the uh, raves for the early Star Wars have been so violent and so uh, extravagant that I feel one cannot afford to mince one's words if one dislikes these things. You one certainly did not do that. Uh, but, but why do you feel they are so bad? I feel they're so bad because they're completely dehumanizing. I th obviously, let's face it, they are for children or for childish adults. They're not for adult mentalities. 
uh, which unfortunately um, <clears throat> means that they're not for a lot of my fellow critics who also lack adult mentalities. But anyway, um, they are for children, and they're brutalizing children, they're stultifying children, they're making children uh, dumber than they need to be. Uh, a great work for children, like Huck Finn, for example, tells a child something about reality, about people, about life, about growing up. These films try to keep children stupid children forever. And that, I think, is wrong. Gene Siskel, Roger Ebert, if you would like to remove the dagger from between your ribs <laughs> and strike back, have at it. I totally disagree with Mr. Simon. I don't know uh, what he did as a child, but I spent a lot of my Saturday matinees watching science fiction movies and serials and having a great time of being stimulated and having my imagination stimulated and having uh, all sorts of visions take place in my mind that helped me to become an adult and to still say young at heart. And I would say not that I'm childlike, but that he is old at heart. Yeah, what I, uh, I think that Mr. Simon ought to do what I did over the weekend. I went to a regular movie theater in a shopping center in Michigan City, Indiana, and I sat amid all the kids. You, there was one tall head and a lot of small heads. Were they dumber than they needed to be? No, they weren't dumber, to quote that interesting phrase. <laughs> uh, they uh, were ecstatic. They were enjoying it, and they were rooting. They were asking each other who's who. They were getting all involved. They were rooting for the right guys and booing the bad guys. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I feel badly, honestly, I feel badly that this uh, other critic, John Simon, didn't have a good time at these pictures. That's too bad for him. All right. What a fight. I am giving that round to Siskel and Ebert. Ted Koppel brings the discussion back to why each of the critics likes or dislikes the film. Here is John Simon's reasoning behind why he didn't like The Empire Strikes Back. Um, when you have a film that's 90% special, man, that's a kindly estimate, 90% uh, special effects, uh, you might just as well be watching an um, animated cartoon. Because finally, all, that, all those special effects begin to look totally unreal. Um, there is, there is, you're looking for something that looks like flesh and blood there. You have three lousy actors in the main roles who don't contribute much flesh and blood. You have ghastly dialogue, terrible plotting, miserable characterization, which also do not contribute flesh and blood. So what you're left with is something that Walt Disney could have done just as well with, with a drawing board and pencils and colors. This is where I think a shift started to happen in film criticism. Either you were excited by the special effects technology pioneered by ILM and George Lucas, or you were distracted and annoyed by it. John Simon could not allow himself to get lost in this space fantasy. He was used to movies looking a certain way, and because these Star Wars films did not fit his aesthetic, they were not valuable. As we know, the era of Star Wars ushered in the era of blockbuster films, filled with special effects that are now prevalent in countless TV shows, movies, and commercials. John Simon didn't know this then, but movies were a changin', and as a result, how one critiques a film would have to change as well. Roger Ebert, however, understood that. Here are his thoughts on why he enjoyed The Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars in general. 
These are the sorts of movies that Disney people should be making and the kinds of movies that Disney made uh, 20, 30 years ago. I think all movies are special effects. Movies are not real. They're two-dimensional. A film goes through the camera, the projector throws the light on the screen, and that makes a special effect. It's a dream. It's an imagination. As to whether this film is good or not, it excited me. It made me laugh. It made me, it made me thrilled. And uh, that's what... That's what a movie like this is for. I also enjoy films by Ingmar Bergman and people like that. I share that taste with Mr. Simon. But I try, I think, in my own movie-going taste to be broad enough to also understand why a bunch of people might want to get together and see a Star Wars movie and enjoy it. Listening to these clips, it is so clear how Star Wars influenced Siskel and Eber and, in effect, changed the way film critics review movies. Audiences didn't want to hear from an uptight elitist who approached movies from such a rigid perspective. Audiences wanted their film criticism to be more personal and direct. Is the movie enjoyable? And should I pay my hard-earned money to go see it? Siskel and Ebert simplified film criticism so it appealed to the average moviegoer so that young kids, like myself, would tune in every week to see which movies they gave thumbs up or thumbs down to. I know a lot of people get upset when a film critic gives a bad review to a Star Wars film or a Marvel film or a DC film. We'll dive into why that might be the case in a minute. But critiquing a film requires a reviewer to offer criticism. Someone can enjoy a franchise, and still find flaws in it. This is good. This is how we have healthy debates about why a scene did or did not work. What a good film critic does not do is resort to personally attacking the filmmakers, producers, or performers. Would it surprise you if I said John Simon was notorious for doing that? Over the years, he became known for his scathing reviews and vicious attacks on the physical appearances of performers. It got so bad that the theater community called for his removal, and an ad was once taken out in Variety magazine protesting his racist and misogynist views. He was truly a villain amongst film critics. One of my favorite revenge stories is when actress Sylvia Miles encountered John Simon at a New York film festival after party. He had written a harsh review of her performance in a play called Nellie Tool and Company. She actually attended the party because she knew Simon would be there. When she saw him standing at the bar, she quickly went to the buffet table and loaded up her plate with steak tartare, coleslaw, potato salad, and cold cuts. Then Sylvia walked over to John Simon and dumped the entire plate of food over his head. Ah, oh, sweet revenge. I share this story because I think it's helpful to remember when reading a review to consider the source. If John Simon were to review Solo, a Star Wars story, or The Last Jedi, I wouldn't even bother reading it because I know it would be misogynistic and potentially racist dribble. Nowadays, I'm sure his reviews would probably make good clickbait to get all of us fans riled up. One of the challenges about this day and age of film criticism is that everyone who has an opinion now has a platform to share it. This is awesome for people like you and me, but... It also opens up the discussion to people who believe Star Wars should cater to their every wish and desire, and that Kathleen Kennedy needs to be fired.
for our sanity and our mental health. I think it's really important to look up the writer before reading their hashtag not my solo review. Do they handle their criticism of the film in a professional manner? Are they using personal insults and attacks against anyone involved in the production? Do they think Disney and women have ruined Star Wars? That's a big one. Look, it's important to hear all sorts of opinions. But like I said, consider the source. After The Force Awakens came out in 2015, I was surprised by how mixed some of the reviews were. There were a lot of positive reviews, but there were also a lot of reviews that called out the film's use of nostalgia. I remember feeling a little sting after reading a review by one of my favorite film critics, Jen Yamato, who is now at the LA Times. She said that while The Force Awakens boasts its fair share of indelible new characters, it also seems like an uninspired rehash of the previous Star Wars films. But she also shared a lot of positive things that she enjoyed about the film, like the performances by John Boyega and Daisy Ridley. While I don't agree with her criticisms of the film, I respect them because of the thoughtfulness behind her argument. And I also really respect her honesty. That is what a good film critic does. They offer up a critique without belittling or insulting the people behind their production or the people reading it. Personally, I have always loved reading film reviews. I enjoy seeing someone else's interpretation of a film, what themes they discovered, why a story arc did or didn't work, or how a character can be driven by a musical motif in a film. Even when I don't agree with a critic's assessment of a film, I find it valuable to the larger film discussion. But with Star Wars, I must admit that I do take the reviews a little more personally. We got enemies, got a lot of enemies, got a lot of critics trying to drain us of this energy. They trying to take away from the fans, messing with the force to feel our resistance. I can't help it. Maybe you feel the same way. I don't know. I'm invested in these Star Wars films as if I was a dolly grip on set laying down the track for hours. It's just, I want people to like these Star Wars films because I like them and I want them to make more of them. Sure, I have criticisms of all the films, but like children, each film holds a special place in my heart. I can see how after investing countless hours watching the films, reading the books, spending thousands of dollars on merchandise, why someone would take a negative film review a little personally. I would never threaten or personally attack someone like some fans have, but I understand where their hurt stems from. If Star Wars represents your values and the identity that you've shaped for yourself, when someone criticizes it or finds flaws in it, it feels more personal. Of course, it shouldn't, because Star Wars doesn't belong to me, it belongs to everyone, and it belongs for everyone to enjoy or not enjoy it. Being a fan is very similar to being a movie critic. Both roles require sharing one's opinions. If someone doesn't have an opinion on Solo, a Star Wars story, they're probably not a fan. And they're definitely not a critic. 
Have you ever talked to someone who has no strong opinions about The Phantom Menace or Return of the Jedi? I have. And I can tell you, it's boring. I'm so used to getting into heated debates with my fellow fans over these films that when it doesn't happen, I am disappointed. It's fun to spar over the importance of the Ewoks or argue that the Jedi contributed to Anakin's downfall. If we didn't have these rousing debates, YouTube would certainly be a very boring place. And here are my 75 reasons why The Phantom Menace is awesome. Critics add to our fan discourse. And when things get really good is when the two overlap. Like this young Canadian girl who shared her review of Star Wars in 1977. Star Wars is a modern day fairy tale, which I really like because it took me on an adventure. I really understood robot R2-D2's feelings when he was scared and when he was crying. I especially like the special effects, especially the moving monster chess figures. My favorite part was when the stars, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, and Chewbacca the Wookiee were stuck in the garbage compactor. And just as they were going to be squished, the wall stopped moving. I liked the film, but there are some parts that were hard to understand, such as how a simple boy from the country can fly a spaceship and shoot a gun and hit right on target. And that Princess Leia was sure bossy. Star Wars fans have always been full of opinions. But thanks to social media and YouTube, fans have taken on the role of film critics, sharing their reviews of the films, TV shows, Star Wars books, and Star Wars video games. Roger Ebert would like to think that his show with Gene Siskel had a little hand in this generation of young critics. And as someone who grew up on their show, I kind of have to agree. Here he is in an interview for the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. What people got from the show, especially young viewers, were two ideas. Movies are deserving of being taken seriously and it's okay to disagree about them, which is to say it's okay to have an opinion about them. And Gene always was very proud of the fact that he took his girls to see a movie once and they came out and he said, well, girls, how did you like it? And one of them said, Daddy, I didn't like it. And he said, you just made me the proudest papa in the world. Because you see, kids always say that everything is fine. How'd you like it? It was fine. And for at least some kids watching our show, suddenly you would hear that in grade schools they were doing Siskel and Ebert, you know, where Jones and Smith would have debate the new movies. And uh, the idea of having an opinion and disagreeing with somebody was interesting. So yeah, film critics are important for Star Wars because their opinions and insight can spark great discussion amongst fans. I think we can learn from hearing other people's perspectives that are outside our little bubble. And, you know, maybe it might even change our original perspectives on these films. Critics can also serve as a gateway for the average moviegoer who maybe doesn't know so much about Star Wars lore. One of the great things about the evolution of film criticism is that it now includes reviewers who are both cinephiles and also have extensive knowledge of Star Wars, like nerdist Amy Radcliffe and my co-hosts Ken Napsok and Joseph Scrimshaw. The democratization of film criticism is a good thing because it opens up the conversation to include new voices who can share their perspectives on race, inclusivity, 
or lack thereof, and gender representation in film. So do film critics add value to the entertainment industry and how audiences experience films? Absolutely. But there is a footnote. While I think film critics are important, there is one type of person that shouldn't necessarily listen to them. The filmmakers. If they're being called out for a lack of representation on screen or something problematic, you know, they should listen. But otherwise, a good creator focuses on their art. I'm sure you can guess which creator is a great example of this. While filming episode two, Attack of the Clones, George Lucas did an interview with Teen Inc., a monthly magazine written by teens. One of the questions they asked him was how much attention he pays to both the positive and negative opinions on his work. His answer was very telling. I don't read reviews or what people think very much because I've got to make my movies the way I see them and want them to be. People can take them for whatever they are. They're going to like them or not. That's their privilege. But I can't really make my movies for all the influences that the people around me, for better or worse, want. I can't make the movies to make money. I just make the movies to make them good. And if they make money, fine. I can't make them to make toys. If they find something they can make a toy out of in the movie, fine. I can't make them to be entertaining in the way that certain critics like them to be entertaining. Star Wars especially has been created in a very particular style, and I've tried to be faithful to that style. If somebody doesn't like that style, it's fine. It's funny that the one thing I did hear about the last film, The Phantom Menace, was that they discovered it was a film for young people. That was a big complaint. Why did he make a children's film? I said, they've all been that way. I don't know if they ever saw the other ones, but they've been that way forever. But everybody grew up and they thought they were going to see Terminator 5, but I'm not making that kind of movie. I'm glad that George Lucas didn't listen to his critics while making his Star Wars saga. And I'm glad creators like Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams and Dave Filoni have told the stories they've wanted to tell, the way they've wanted to do it. That is what makes them good filmmakers. Let's let them do their thing so that we, the fans and the film critics, can have something good to talk about. All right, friends, Solo is almost here. I cannot wait. I am so hopeful that I will have a positive review to share after this film. Oh, gosh, I hope so. After the film comes out, share your reviews with me. After the film comes out, you can find me on Twitter at Jennifer Landa, hashtag happy beeps, or on my Facebook page, Jennifer Landa. A special shout out to Tony Thaxton for the happy beeps theme song and ending theme that gets this Star Wars party going. Party. For more of his music, check out his page at patreon.com slash Tony Thaxton. Wookie hugs to our patrons on Patreon who keep our network going. If you'd like to support what we do here at Force Center, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Force Center. Thank you all so much for listening. 
I will see you all on the other side after we see Solo. And until next time, beep bop boop. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.